Hello, and welcome to the 31st annual award-winning podcast, The Academy Academy, the show that discovers the absolute, undeniable, and scientifically proven greatest performance in your favorite actor's esteemed career. I'm Don Saunderson. Oh man, it's it's me, Patrick Remyon. Welcome to the Academy, Patrick. We've um we got the big one this week. I don't think there's any um any way around it. I just received a phone call. Actually, the White House, Joe Biden, waiting around. Oh yeah. To know to know how this is going to go. I mean, everybody in the country is on the edge of their seats. We're counting. I mean, it's just oh man, this is a lot. As we all know, folks, it is. We are. You saw it in the title of the episode. It's Dog Day Afternoon versus The Godfather Part Two. Pretty yep. much two of the highest points in kind of the new Hollywood era, American cinema, and two of the highest points. You know, you've heard us rave about them in previous rant episodes of Al Pacino's career. Well, more raves than rants, though. That's true. We, no we got to we got to be honest. Not, I mean, yeah. some ranting like positive, like crazy person ranting from oh, the yeah. ranting that this was great. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm like, uh, you know, I'm like one of those guys on the street side of Wilshire who has like a yep. sign that says like, you know, God is great, but it's just me going, you know, Pacino's underrated and Donnie Brasco. That's my sign. And I'm like, you know, throwing it in the air, doing little dances and stuff. Yeah. Yeah. No, I'm a doing I mean, it's weird, stuff. but people punk because they're like, we agree. Yeah, we, <laughs> you know? we agree. <laughs> Thousands of people honking in agreement. I've caused so much traffic in Wilshire. Uh, a couple accidents based <laughs> on your uh, hot takes on Scarecrow. <laughs> <laughs> I'm the world's most wanted man in Los Angeles. Mm-hmm. Yeah. For just hot Pacino takes all over the city. <laughs> Too spicy. Too spicy. Well, we got to get to our guest this week we got a really really cool great guest coming on the show this week a long friend of mine um great filmmaker writer director kevin hamadani is here welcome to the academy kevin my honor thanks guys oh thank you and you know i i kevin and i have talked about movies together for quite a long time you know it's and um al pacino has been i knew how much kevin loved Pacino and in particular a couple of these performances here so I was like I, he's going to be such a good guest but I gotta like save it save it for the right moment and I think that this is the right episode for you man you're very good at this because you're correct you're right on the bullseye so we should get right into it because I know we got I mean this is um so Kevin I don't know we want we we rewatch yeah throughout the entire tournament yep each of these movies so i've we've now seen dog day afternoon twice and godfather godfather part two twice with regards to this tournament uh-huh. obviously i'd seen them many times of course before going into this so you know we got a lot to talk about because i oh, got yeah. new thoughts surprisingly enough if you thought that was possible <laughs> but uh before we get into it kevin um world's dying to know what's your alto biography uh al pacino background al pacino fandom early favorites etc etc well um that's just funny this is the podcast i'm doing because al pacino was my gateway drug to art film and i will say i'll put it this way true story grew up loving films like you guys and most people listening i'm sure i wanted to spend my life in it but it was always horror i was a horror nerd like most preteen kids then my dad took me to go see donnie brasco and in the theater, I remember just being 
I just like I didn't I just never experienced this before. It felt real. It felt like I was watching real human beings talking. And and my dad, for anyone you've seen, uh, if you see a picture of him, he looks a lot like Al Pacino. So it was had an added layer of of uh, interest for me watching this guy. In Donnie Brasco, he looks like my my dad, the older you know. Anyway, so I walked out of theater kind of shake, little shaking, like this. It was I was sad. I never felt sad in a film. So then I just went to the video store and just started one by one renting every single Al Pacino film. And then from there, I realized who's this Francis Ford Coppola guy. And then from there, I realized who is this Robert De Niro guy. And from there, the, the sort of domino effect led to me not abandoning horror, that would always be a dear love of mine, but my childhood shifted completely into new Hollywood of the 70s, which leads to Goddard's, which leads to Cassavetes, which, you know, you find out who their influences were, and then it leads to Brando, and anyway, my whole world opened up because I saw Donnie Brasco in the theater, and that is a God honest true story. Mm -hmm. So I, I, to this day, every year, my wife and I go through a Pacino marathon it's just part of our life that's awesome that is awesome yeah. just talked about i'm awesome it's <laughs> great rules. story man <laughs> yeah we we uh that's it you know i it, that feeling though like that those early discoveries when, and going to the he, video store it's yeah, just the best and then you see all these boxes and you go oh Je jeffrey skatzenberg he did <laughs> Pacino worked with him twice. Who's this guy? Mm -hmm. And then you watch, you watch Scarecrow. And you're like, why does no one talk about Scarecrow? Yeah. This would be fucking amazing. Let's watch the first one. Panic. Why is no one talking about Panic in the Needle Park? Now they are. I've noticed people are talking more and more Needle Park. I think because of the re-release -re a few, few years ago. But growing up, no one even knew about that film except for our parents. Um, anyway, he's just tied to such a legacy of cinema. He's such a great gate gateway drug, but I also to this day think he's still delivered some of the greatest performances I've ever seen on film. Mm -hmm. That's such a that's such a good way of putting it. The kind of gateway drug. I'd put it either him or, you know, Arrow yeah. in that kind of same category. It's just I'll never forget. Still connected to old Hollywood and seventy, and they're just connected. They just sort of mm -hmm. great. Sorry. it's like the Beatles for rock. You want to. Get oh, into yeah. rock and sixties rock. You start with the Beatles, and then you figure out about the Kinks. Then you go to the Beach. You know, then you sort of expand the genre. Mm -hmm. But he's great. Oh, absolutely. I mean, you just and then yeah, you're right. Because like the next step is it's like okay, like oh, I've watched Godfather one and Godfather two. It's like oh, Francis Ford Coppola. He seems like he seems like an interesting person. And then you get Apocalypse Now, now. or yeah. something like that. And you're like oh, he's a very interesting yeah. person. <laughs> you know, yeah. if you want to just keep going, I mean, like I'll never forget like maybe the most one of the five most formative moments for me was you know we we're here and i it was because the gateway for me was tarantino talking about these people uh, and i then wanted to be like okay i want to know what he's talking about because he's interesting yeah. and you know we went to the video store my brother and i went to taxi driver yeah. went home watched it and we were just like holy shit and i was like looked at my brother i'm like you know there's one called raging bull i heard about he goes you want to go back to the video store we walked back to the Blockbuster yeah. and rented that too. And we were just like, what a great day. <laughs> and, we'll, and we will never have that experience ever again. Yeah. That's, that's one of the tragedies of aging no one discusses. Mm -hmm. Is that feeling, I hate to be a pessimist here, but it's not pessimistic if you're able to remember as much as you can. When you first hear uh, that album, like mm -hmm. when you're 15 or whatever it is, the Beatles or Radiohead or rap or whatever you're into, whatever... And then in this case, for us nerds, the taxi drivers and the raging bulls and the Goodfellas, 
for me, Apocalypse Now, that, that night watching that film, that was it. That's night I'll never forget. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's, nice. that's I, had, I had like a, a negative version of the story where I remember when I was a kid, I watched Bonnie and Clyde for the first time and like my mind was blown. Like I didn't know movies could be this good, especially like movies like made in like the 60s. And I remember like, you know, Gene Hackman's in this movie. Ergo, every Gene Hackman movie must be good. And so the next movie I rented was Welcome to Mooseport. <laughs> I was like, is it Gene Hackman who was in Body? This must be good. This has to be an art, an auteurist's work of art. I Gene Hackman's got to work. I think that movie retired him. Wasn't yeah, I think it killed. Yeah, I think it killed his career. Imagine if he had ended with Tenenbaums because it was the uh, one right before then, and like, what a um. What a great final part that was, too. Great performance. Yeah. He's, he's really good in it. Yeah. He's, he's one of the greats. He, he might come back for one. Like, I wonder if there's like a director that could like bring him back just for one more movie. It'd be so he's, rare. It'd be he's like 90. Oh, that's yeah. true. He is so old. He might the only one I can think about is another 90-year-old, and I think the only guy who could talk him into it is Eastwood. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That would be my only guess. Is like, like... Scarecrow 2 directed by Eastwood. Oh, jeez. <laughs> and, and what movie did Gene Hackman beat Pacino for the Best Supporting Actor Oscar? What was uh, Unforgiven? Yeah, what was Pacino's wow. What was Pacino up? Did, was that Dick Tracy? No, good, good uh, guess. Oh, right around that time period. What was it? Was it Donnie? No, it wasn't. Glenn Gary Glenn Ross. Oh, there you go. Oh, there you wow. go. But he Isn't won that it? same year for Seven Women today, so he ended up winning that night anyway. Okay, yeah, good, dude. Good. Yeah, they all went home happy. They high fived Oscars. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Oh, Unforgiven, folks. I mean, it. Yeah. What a movie. Yeah, if we ever do an Eastwood <laughs> or a Hackman it. bracket, like yeah, definitely. Um, Hell, we we do yeah. a Richard Harris bracket. Oh man, yeah. he's so good in that. Is was it English Bob? Is that his name? Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. Oh, man, what a great, what a what fun, a, weird character. <laughs> Or film, but yeah, we just did our um, we as you know, our audience knows, but I don't know if Kevin knows. We actually just released an episode where Patrick and I ran down our top 25 movies of all time as kind of a Memorial Day weekend bonus episode. And you're absolutely right, like, there aren't very many ones that I've seen that, like, in the past couple of years that have changed my mind on that. It's like all movies that I saw, like, around like 16. Yeah. To 24, 25 years old. Really? There's nothing in the two two thousands, huh? Um the only one the only one that made it was Tree of Life on my list that from oh, recently. Cool. Yeah. And cool. once upon a time in Hollywood is very close to getting a bad mix. Uh, there we blood or no country for old men. No. Uh no, they did not make my list. So my list is old stuff. I mean, I love all those. Don't get me wrong. I really love all every one of those movies, but yeah. You know, the ones that kind of like I just come back to and I think about and I remember kind of the exact moment where I saw yeah. them, you know, I yeah, so it's like the newer ones on my list. Like, I think the next newest one was um, Thin Red Line and Pulp Fiction. Yeah, yeah, for sure. No but, uh, uh, Shawshank Redemption? No, no. I mean, you know, and I mean, another one from that era, too. I mean, Fargo could have been in the mix. No Fargo, huh? That's a good yeah. One. How about but, 80s back to the future i had raging bull i had raging bull on there yeah um but um but yeah it is kind of you do kind of like and i know that like my entire like psychotic voracious movie watching is like there is a big part of me that's on this hunt for like the secret treasure 
that I had yeah. missed or I whatever. Think, I think those. I think if I was the same age, I saw Godfather as I was when There Will Be Blood came out. Mm-hmm. I would have had that experience with that film. Oh yeah, I still yeah. had a profound experience with There Will Be Blood, but it'll never be like what we had at 14, 15, 16 where we just are shaking, like we're just. We don't know what's going on. When I saw Woman of the Influence at 16 or whatever, it's like, I don't know what this means, but I just, I feel like something, like, I didn't know, like, first time tasting a certain type of food. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah, like the mystery of, like, I don't know what this is at all, but there's something that's making me feel something that's quite different that I want to chase that feeling, you know, incredibly so. Yeah, anyway. Um, But yeah. So so, uh, uh, that's my Pacino history. Oh, yeah. So I'm very curious where this goes. How does this lead to a debate? So we have to, de- I'm sorry, you go, you tell me the, the rules. You tell me the okay, rules. well, yeah, we'll just dive in. Um, we're gonna start, we're just gonna chat about dog the afternoon, highs, lows, okay. all these kind of things. All right. All right. Uh, so cool. as usual, I'll start off with the stats oh, okay. to get us going. <laughs> Released in 1975, directed by Sidney Lamette, directed by, or screenplay by Frank Pearson, based upon the article, The Boys in the Bank by P.F. Klug and Thomas Moore. The movie was budgeted at a cool 3.5 to 3.8 million, and it made an even cooler 50 to 56 million dollars at the box office. The, um, there's a lot of pages in the Wikipedia. Hang on. <laughs> so it was nominated for six Academy Awards. It was nominated for Best Film Editing, Best Original Screenplay, Best Supporting Actor, Best Director, Best Picture, and Best Actor for Al Pacino. It won one Best Original Screenplay. And uh, mind you, it was Chris Sarandon who was nominated for Best Supporting Actor, not John Cazale. And yeah. that and, might... And- someone else too or charles durning or charles durning as well yes absolutely um the let me see if i can track it down or um don't see the uh rotten tomatoes score here but who gives a shit we don't even care about rotten tomatoes um it's great this time around for me and this movie for some reason and this is i i think the quality what makes a quality movie it gets more exciting and more thrilling each time i watch it mm-hmm. it, it has an edge to it i think especially in that first hour when they're really like getting into it and you know patrick we were texting me about the part where charles Durning like takes off his shirt oh, and it's like patting his belly <laughs> and it's just like they're screaming at each other and jenny brought it up even two weeks ago don't put that guns down you know it's just <laughs> And then, of course, the Attica sequence, it's and the way it's I mean, I think, you know, we gave some credit the first time we talked about it, the Dee Dee Allen's editing of this movie and the way it cuts between each of the things that are happening in the streets and the way it all leads up. They, they boy, they magically saved those helicopter shots to see show the scope of just what they're dealing with out there. It is really like there is a vibrancy to it. That very, very, I think very few films match. Yeah, it is like, um, it's filled with life. It's, uh, for me, it's also this thing where like, I feel like this movie has captured a moment that will, that's that's um, uh, never going to occur ever again. It feels like you, we've, there's something caught uh, on tape there. Like, just like the, the vibe of the time. 
and the type of people that would be in that bank and just like that mood uh and even those like beginning shots when you're seeing like that, yeah, the Elton you know, John uh, montage, yeah, the, pregnant, that opens the, the pregnant dog going through trash, all that stuff. <laughs> yeah. like, it's just shit that like I don't know, like you know, it's like stuff that you know they uh, they don't put on film on a good day anymore, and just like that, like specific slice of New York. It's like that movie, and I guess like take the taking of Pelham one two three, like the OG one. I feel like this is like the only two movies that really like. You know, they're not the only two movies, but they really do justice to, like, a specific era of New York that, like, uh, is just, like, gone forever. Uh, you know, in some cases for better, in some cases for worse, probably. I don't know. But, uh, yeah. yeah. And Al Pacino, fuck, he's so good in it. And, all the, <laughs> and one thing I noticed this time, too, is, like, all the, like, supporting actors are really, like, I didn't realize how much of, like, a, like, uh, like, a, what's his name? Sully Boyar, like Mulvaney, kind of like the older guy who, uh, I think he has diabetes or something. The like bank that. manager. Yeah. Fuck, yeah. he's great. And Penelope Allen just kills Oh, it. she's so good. Yeah. yeah. And then, uh, and even like James Broderick as like the FBI agent. I didn't like, I, I didn't appreciate how good of a job he did as like. He and, um, the way that they have him and Lance Hendrickson just kind of like lurking in the first hour of the movie and you think charles durning is in it and then at the end charles durning is relegated to the guy who answers the phone and then hands it to people oh and he's gone by the end yeah he's gone it's it's incredible (laughs) uh kevin um what's your familiarity with uh dog day i've seen it probably just like you guys since (laughs) i was a teenager and watched every couple years or so um yeah it's it's uh it's one of the great performances i think pacino is kind of ridiculous the fact that that's the same guy who was michael a year before they seem like two completely different human beings he's so vulnerable and sweet in it that's what i like about that performance he's one of really i like when every time he plays someone very like kind of kind of naive and and sweet he's very good good at that type of role um and it's just you know cindy lament it's like the perfect 70s example like the handheld the ex the real life extras uh the sort of kind of cluttered sound design where the foreground background kind of mixed together it's a perfect if you want to know what 70s filmmaking was that's a great example you know it's kind of the hype of that style and we were were talking about it and obviously this excludes the godfather series but is al pacino the greatest actor who at playing for lack of a better term losers he plays but he also plays like kings yeah so i can't really i don't it's just he's just he just has this quality that like of these like try hard guys right. who are just like looking to like looking to make it just a little over the hump yeah. and the world is just like i mean if you think of this uh scarecrow certainly uh donnie brosco yeah. i mean he, donnie brosco um lefty is such a tragic character yeah he's just yeah he's yeah that's one of his that's most tra- tragic i'm glad you think you said it earlier it's one of the more underrated but you know i i, I just tell everybody when they talk about Pacino, I was like rewatch donnie brasco it's one of his top tier perform- performances he's kind of amazing in that film i, his I, body, I his agree body language is is really incredible oh, he's man. so sad yeah the way he hunches his shoulders and it's like it's like a year after heat and again he's like he's not that old frail loser he's that's him acting, you know, because he yeah. was, you know, Vega two years early, earlier chasing De Niro down at the airport with a shotgun. So yeah, I mean, he's like doing time. some real physical stuff very recently. 
Yeah, and, and yeah. Donnie Brasco, he just transformed his whole body. And he's the way he walks and is she's so good. She's his love of um his love of Donnie. Yeah, and, and just like, like when he arrives in the hospital, he the way he chose to like shield his face. He didn't mm-hmm. want to win an Oscar. He wasn't trying to, you know, he was just like he wouldn't show his face to anybody because he's not the guy who would show tears and like those, but it's probably one of my favorite Pacino moments in the history of Pacino is when he opens up that drawer at the end after he closes it. Yeah. There's money in there to say he's going to die and he waits a beat and he opens it back up so that she would see it in the morning. Uh, That to me is one of my top five Pacino moments ever. It kills me every time. It's heartbreaking. We, I mean, and we'll talk about it more when we get to Godfather 2 because there's a moment in Godfather 2 that he does something wordlessly that there's, is... There's a, the reason Godfather, this reason this discussion is a no-brainer for me, there's, <laughs> uh, there's about two dozen moments he does in Godfather 2 that are un, untouched by any actor ever. Mm-hmm. It's, it's it, yeah, yeah. This, is, this is very interesting because like, you're, getting, you're getting two sides to him here. You know, Dog Day, he's, he's all on the surface. He's all, you know, it's his emotions and everything he's feeling are right in your, you know, right in your face. And he's like his desperation, you know, he's desperate and he's showing you all of that. But he's also, he's also, he's also weirdly charming. He's also kind of funny. Um, You know, even the part like when he goes out there and does the Attica scene and people start cheering for him, how he turns from desperation into thinking he's hot shit is really amazing kind of that moment where he you know and it shows kind of the sunny the levels of the sunny guy and then of course the very ending where he realizes they're not going to get away with it sal has been shot in the head and he's going nothing worked out yeah and And how bad you feel yeah you know yeah oh the way he says don't shoot me is just like yeah it's yeah it's quiet it's just the way he says it's so quiet and meek almost it's just it's beautiful and then crans yeah, and I, I just, you know, I think it's, this is, I don't know if this, this doesn't have anything to do with performance, but I do feel like a little more like able to connect with Sonny's plight than Michael's. But, I, you know, Patrick and I were joking too. It's like, if you're kind of like an alpha type A personality, you relate to Michael. And if you're kind of like a meeker person, you relate to Sonny a little bit more. I don't know if that's true at all, but uh, you know, I, I just found it very, um, I just find that there's like an excitement to this movie that just like every time I watch it, I'm surprised and kind of like, and it really is the second that Elton John song comes in at the opening of the movie and they start going this, Oh, we are, we are in for a dang treat here this is going to be a nice two hours of movie time and one thing we have noticed is that al pacino movies are long just almost across the board Mm -hmm. this one is you know 125 minutes and i think it just cooks man it the pacing and it flies by kevin i don't know if you've um heard this story before but um we learned last time around we talked about this that um the studio asked Lament to get it under two hours. And so he delivered a like 105 minute cut because he's um he's a pro. <laughs> he's a pro's pro. And what they realized is that it was wrong. That everything that leads up to the phone call sequence 
with Chris Sarandon and then the in particular the will sequence you need to lead up to those you need a little bit more padding basically to get to the where those have the emotional gut punch that they do so they added they Lamette was joking it was like the first time ever a studio told him to add stuff back in that's funny. That's happened to Godfather Part One too. Oh yeah, I I hadn't read that one about that on Godfather One. Coppola had to deliver a two-hour version or whatever, and Albert else ready was like, "Shit, never mind, never mind." You're right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah it, different time. Yeah, <laughs> different time indeed. <laughs> yeah. Well, or or if you you know you work for Netflix these days, they're like, "How about tacking on three yeah. more episodes?" Yeah. <laughs> you know, you're like, "What?" <laughs> story's over man yeah. <laughs> but um you know what if that side character had a whole story yeah it's yeah. like yeah the all the bank tellers would have um we'd, <laughs> yeah. we'd, we'd meet all of their significant others and we'd learn all about what was going on with them too if this was like a tv show or something yeah. like that squirrel origins <laughs> <laughs> but i yeah i just love like the other thing i like about this one is like kind of the theatrical aspect of it like the mm-hmm. um the bank set to me is, you know, a stage, basically. And I know that uh, Lamette essentially taped taped it off in a warehouse and had them all rehearse as if it was a play for all the interior uh, bank scenes. And you really feel, and I know Pacino has said it too, that it feel, felt like they were like a, a company, a theatrical company by the time they were done with those scenes. And there is a real connection between all of them. And even the... Um, the bank tellers who don't get a lot of like dialogue, you feel them, you kind of feel their presence and you get to know what they do and how they react to how they get to react to Sonny and Sal Mm -hmm. as things go on. Um, You know, speaking of which, you know, we got got to, I can't talk about Sal. (laughs) Um, Every time out, every time out, I'm like, boy, this is like, I mean, we know, we know John Cazale is one of the great actors of his time period but man i mean but you know we might get the two best john cazale performances to that tonight as well yeah well <laughs> uh get ready for more on that <laughs> but yeah he's um he's so good so like just like the little like the parts like you shouldn't that sequence where he tells her not to smoke mm-hmm. it's just it's and it's just, yeah, these little character moments that they, you're right, guys, they just don't do in the same way anymore. Yeah. That yeah. kind of lets you in on so much, like so much of their life um, within so little, like actual screen time or dialogue or whatever. It, it's, it's so like astonishing to see such a frail person, like just his, like the way he, comports himself in, in that film in this film and dog day afternoon he's so he seems so frail and meek but then like the conviction he has like the one scene where he's like um you know are we gonna have to kill people and then you know there's like a beat and you're like you know in your head you're thinking oh he's not gonna wanna like he's gonna say because i don't want to do that like or he's gonna wimp out but then he goes the other way and he's like, cause I will kill people. You know, I'll do it. I'll fucking do it. And you're like, Oh shit, you're this type of guy. It's like, Oh, and he pulls it off. And he, he fucking, I mean, I know it's just 
boring to be like, you know, I yeah, you're just listening to a guy like Dog Day Afternoon for like five minutes or but like fuck, what can, what, what can I say? The movie slaps, it's good. The performance is good. I, I hope I'm adding something new to the conversation. Well, I don't know. You know, it, what you're saying though, Patrick, is you know, Kevin and I are dog day vets. Yeah. Uh, the last time around, Kevin, uh, that was Patrick's first time ever seeing it. Oh yeah, wow. oh dude. Wow. And it's well, and it's like you watch it and you're like, oh, so this is where safety movies come from, too. Like, that's the other thing you think. <laughs> yeah, you realize, right. oh, this is like every safety movie. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> and that's, yeah. Not a, that's not a, that's not a diss. Like, I love every single, I'm glad that, and I'm also glad that they still, there's at least someone keeping this type of movie alive. <laughs> like, yeah. just like a, uh, crazy person trying to do something that will ultimately fail in New York genre. Like, fuck yeah, <laughs> like keep that. I love it. Keep it, keep it going with like a bunch of weird characters. Mm-hmm. Oh, man. Well, I like what I like about them though, is that they, you know, kind of the, the shades of gray, they all live in. Mm-hmm. Like it's very clear that Sonny and Sal have issues are not yeah. the best, not the best dudes in the world. But there's such a like an almost purity to what they're trying to accomplish that you're like, and even and that's why even like the bank tellers are like a little like I kind of hope like, you know, they're like at the end where she's like Sal, it's his first flight, you know, it's gonna be okay. It's it's yeah. so it's so like you're you're you you're half rooting for them and half like oh these guys they're gonna like it's the same vein when you watch the you know again with like the Safety Brothers movie when I watch Sandler run around New York. And uncut gems and like every time he does something worse you're like howie come <laughs> on man like, you know, it's like, Howard. <laughs> but but that's also kind of like the power of the movie star is that because you like it you inherently come to this like you're al pacino fan right. so it's like you want you know like oh one al to like and i mean i think the safety's exploited that to like the fullest potential in uncut gems like oh we like sandler Sandler's an affable guy you know we grew up with Sandler we like so it's like yeah. and then you see him do this you're like oh Sandler man come on yeah. <laughs> Mr. Deeds no yeah this is not yeah. the Mr. Deeds I used to know <laughs> go back to singing at weddings sir <laughs> but but yeah I think and I, I you know you do wish like you know we talked a little bit about it Kevin we just talked about last week um al pacino's directorial work it's like looking for richard and chinese coffee and local stigmatic yeah it's very cool but we're just saying like wouldn't it be neat if like some of the like the newer actors were up for playing the like played more of these characters in the shades of gray like the younger actors the newer actors today the yeah the hotter stars i'm sure they'd love to but it's not yeah you, know, you have like the sound of metal type films or like you said the uncut gems there's always yeah. a handful there's a, a couple year, of them but yeah back then those are the these were the mainstream film, you know yeah so. boy you just yearn for it you really do but yeah. i mean who knows you know maybe some maybe there'll be like some sort of you know culture moves in strange ways and maybe there'll be a strange revolution where people yeah. All of that. Jen just yelled Robert Pattinson has done all of that <laughs> but, um, yeah that's true and it's it's true including the yeah. Safdie's good time you know which kind of you know but I mean like but I mean well Robert Pattinson is saying that 
the, my first move after doing a Twilight movie is I'm going to work with David Cronenberg um, is the appropriate decision in any, um, yeah. you know, you should work with David Cronenberg when given the opportunity. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. And, uh, you know, Cronenberg update, he comes up a lot on our show for never having worked with anyone that we've covered. Uh, new movie. This summer, he's shooting it and it you know looks like it might be his last one. But, you know, thank God he's back in the mix. Oh, man. For a split second, I thought you were going to say it starred either Meryl Streep or uh, Al Pacino. Like this was going to be like a sequel to Mamma Mia or something like David. Cronenberg. Interestingly enough, he's <laughs> shooting in Greece. So it. Oh. Might be a sequel. Might what Mama if he three, was yeah? like? Why is it his last? Is that what he said? Uh, he's kind of alluded to. I mean, he's almost eighty. Yeah. And I think um, and it took him almost a decade to get funding from Maps of the Stars for this one. So it's just like, I mean, I, yeah, boy, I hope he makes like fifty more. But um, you know, the math is a little tough there. But hopefully, you know, because I know he was trying uh to get um. He wrote a novel like eight or nine years. It's good too. It's a very, it's exactly what you want out of a David Cronenberg book. All sorts of gross stuff happens. Um, <laughs> well, uh, but uh, he was trying to turn it into a Netflix series and they passed. Mm. But, yeah, um, yeah. but it's, it's really cool. Recommended to Academy Academy uh, listeners. Absolutely. Yeah. But um, is there any um, final thoughts on Pacino in Dog Day Afternoon before we move on to the second film of the evening. Did you notice his little twitch that he gave his character when mm-hmm. he talked? Is yeah. That, yeah. And I just, anyway, I just find him quite fascinating in that film. Everything he's doing, and one thing I wanted to bring up too when we were talking about him and Sal was um, really thinking about, and I, I actually thought about, you know, brought it up on Godfather about uh, what the war may have done to Michael, but this is also very clear. These are two veterans of the conflict in Vietnam, and kind of what where they are. It's you know does uh, Pacino says I'm a veteran, but it's very clear Sal was in the was there as well. I think it's also good to remind your audience that uh, Pacino was a movie star playing a, a gay guy, which that, was, yeah, which is for that period was maybe one of the first mainstream. I think right. It, 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 it's it's up there. Yeah, it, I mean, you know, and it was um, you know, we did talk briefly uh, previous episode. Basically, um, you know, Pacino was nervous about doing it. Uh, he he was up for it, but you know, there was definitely because you have to remember this was this this father Godfather too. Pacino is like you mentioned earlier, Kevin, pretty peaking in kind of the young superstar. Yeah. kind of uh vibe so it's a big move <laughs> it's saying that um the producer is like al we're, we're calling dustin hoffman you've got you know, you know basically you know you've got this um you got to make a call on this thing but you know he really makes it his own he and you know one thing i really believe in this movie is that they could have really sensationalized a lot of elements this movie this could have been an exploitation movie yeah, it very, very. Of there were exploitation movies at this time period that would have done this. Um, I think this movie is pretty um, for 1975. I think it does a very fine job in dealing with kind of the um, themes that they they almost certainly had no real understanding or 
yeah. true understanding or handle on. Even like the most liberal members of the team probably had no great experience or knowledge yeah. of what they were doing. And I think that they did it. They tried to portray everyone as real people. They didn't make anyone a joke. They didn't make any of the situation a joke. They take it very seriously. Obviously, we, you know, we, we haven't even touched on it, but the, the phone call between Pacino and Chris Sarandon yeah. is one of the great moments of the film. Oh, yeah. And um, yeah, I, I think this movie just, you're right, Patrick, captures this absolute moment of time. One thing I was thinking too when you were saying that was like, okay, everyone would have a fucking cell phone who was doing it if it was happening today. And the bank security, because I think about heat all the time, every single time I go to a bank and I'm like, it ain't happening. There is no heat, let alone dog to afternoon. Like you're going to get caught in two seconds if you try and do a job at a bank these days. They, with all the facial, yeah. all, all the, all the security, all the facial the recognition ruined, stuff. Yeah, the technology has ruined heist films and horror films. Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, topic for another show, Kevin and I could probably chat for an hour on the use of a cell phone in modern movies and like how to pull it off or how it ruins everything. <laughs> I mean, there was that new recent film, The Little Things with Denzel Washington and Jared Leto that the, uh, the guy who did it, uh, John Lee Hancock, wrote it in the 90s, finally got it greenlit in like 2019, 2020. And he decided just to make it a period piece because it's like an investigation movie yeah. is yeah. way more fun without all this new shit. Yeah. And he's right. Like, you know, like even like talking about something like Seven, you know, Morgan Freeman has to go to the Nang Library and look up books. And Brad Pitt has that entire sequence where he has cliff notes delivered oh, to him. Yeah. And I have to make searching on Wikipedia interesting in a movie. Yeah. Try and make yeah. that cinematic. <laughs> 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 and people have done interesting things. Like, if I want to give, I mean, like, I thought during quarantine, um, the Shutter original film Host was an excellent movie using very modern technology. I thought they did an excellent job with that, but I think it's just, it's very hard and it, it separates people and movies are about interaction between people yeah. and kind of making connections. And obviously look at society today. You don't even need a movie to show people aren't connecting as well <laughs> and so how is how's a movie supposed to present movie becomes a work of fiction completely you know because people have to be in a room together or else you know where's the drama you know the entire thing here is like you're putting a bunch of disparate characters in a room in an extraordinary situation that's great that you know that's you know and my pet theory about if you look at all of the major filmmakers going today whether it's uh, Tarantino, the Andersons, Sofia Coppola, um, Michael, or um, David Fincher, um, period piece, period piece, period piece, period piece, period piece, period piece. They're all avoiding shooting new like movies set today. Mm-hmm. Almost, I mean, there's occasional one, but it's pretty. It's getting deeper and deeper into that zone of that because. I think that there is kind of we're at this kind of interesting point where it's like, how do you take something that's so important in people's lives, which is the internet, cell phones, that kind of thing, and turn it into something that makes like a tradition, like traditional yeah. movie. I think it's it's a real challenge. 
Um, so yeah, another reason why Dog Day, extraordinary, um, extraordinary movie and an extraordinary time capsule. On top of that, you know, yeah. and it's just, uh, you know, listeners, if you haven't, you know, hopefully watched it between the first time we talked about it now, but this is a, this is a banger of a movie. It's still like it. It still plays like Gangbusters. Like there is it. Some of these movies, I know some. I'm not a big, I'm not a big proponent of saying things are boring or things have aged poorly. And I like kind of the um, pacing of older movies, but um, this movie's got great pace, even in a modern sense. So um, I, I mean, I think it's a. You know, you get to see Pacino at his most on the edge and feral in Dog Day Afternoon. And moving on to our next movie, where we see a different side of Al Pacino, only one year before. And I mean, the the, the thing about okay, I you know we're I think we got a lot to talk about with yes. the Godfather Part Two, and I'm trying to narrow it down where more than I started <laughs> point is. Um, but we yeah, we'll do stats first, and then we'll dive in. Um, yeah. Uh, uh, directed by Francis Ford Coppola, screenplay by Francis Ford Coppola and Mario Puzo. Uh, budgeted at $13 million, uh, made, I love these 70s box office numbers, somewhere between 48 and $88 million. Who knows? Who cares? It's great. <laughs> <laughs> um, the movie was nominated. Um, I remember this from last time. So many Academy Awards that I can't count very quickly off the page, so I'm just going to read them out oh. to you. Best Original Dramatic Score. Best Costume Design, Best Art Direction, Best Adapted Screenplay, Best Supporting Actress, Talia Shire, Best Supporting Actor, Robert De Niro, Michael V. Gazzo, Lee Strasberg, and notably, not John Cazale. Best Actor, Al Pacino, Best Director, Francis Ford Coppola, Best Picture, it won uh, six of them. Best Original Dramatic Score, Best Art Direction, Best Adapted Screenplay, Best Supporting Actor for Robert De Niro, Best Director for Francis Ford Coppola, and Best Picture. Um, this is a major league movie. There's no, no real way around it. One of the, one of the peaks of American cinema. Um, Francis Ford Coppola at um, just working at a kind of almost like cosmic level. At this point, um, I'm reading a biography of Francis Ford Coppola right now, mm. uh, getting to know him further. It's been on my shelf. I looked at the, rec the receipt was still in there uh, since 2008, but I had not uh, read it yet, but I'm enjoying it thoroughly. And just to read about him in action at this time period where like literally on the weekends, mm. he's taking a look and trying to finish up final cut on the conversation while doing this. And if you, I mean, folks, this is a 200 minute epic as epic movies get. Like, Kevin, as a filmmaker, could you imagine like working on another movie so while doing this one? Yeah, it's, it's like the dream scenario. He has this yeah. nice personal film and then he's got this big epic art film. Uh, you know, I think Spielberg was looking at the cuts of Jurassic Park while he was in the Czech Republic, I think, or in Poland uh, shooting Schindler's List. That's so, right. That's right. Similar scenario I, I remember hearing about, yeah. Yeah, they're just like working at like, I mean, even like those filmmakers, you know, I just rattled off kind of yeah. some of the bigger names going like 
they get allowed to do things once every like four years and there's nothing around that at all like it wouldn't it be yeah. amazing if paul thomas anderson was like finishing the edit on the movie he's got coming out later this year and it was just on something right now shooting yeah. again i mean yeah. wouldn't it be cool yeah i don't know why more filmmakers don't operate that way it seems a bit uh yeah, I mean, I, I guess like the only one Spielberg I still does. Spielberg does. Spielberg he, does he, like he does. He's, he still does two films a year, once in a while, and back to back. You know. Yeah, I mean, uh, you know, Clint Eastwood does. Yeah, he does. Um, yeah. You know, Steven Soderbergh occasionally. I would so, imagine yeah, does. Yeah, that's right. But um, yeah, few and far between. I will say you brought up Jurassic Park, and I think the only thing that makes the Godfather Part Two, it's a perfect movie, but the only thing I could think of that could improve it is maybe. You got one of those spitting dinosaurs. <laughs> brought it into, brought it into Godfather Part Two. I'm thinking like, yeah. uh, you know, we, you don't see Clemenza in Part Two. Sadly, maybe that's how why you know Clemenza was. Well, yeah, you could see, um, you could see John the Fredo like hearing about Jurassic Park and bringing yeah. it to Michael and saying like, Michael, I got a really good business opportunity here. And Michael's like, Shut up, Fredo. <laughs> It's a failure. You're bringing dinosaurs back. That'd be so good if, like, in the way that The Godfather had that Sicilian, you know, hour, you know, that little movie in a movie, if, like, the movie in a movie in The Godfather Part Two was Fredo starting Jurassic Park. Well, who's the guy who, um, the guy, I haven't seen Jurassic Park in a long time, but the guy who goes to the outhouse and gets eaten? Oh, uh, Dennis, oh, uh, Martin Ferrero, uh, God, I forget. That's, see, that's, um, Unfortunately, that's the Fredo. Oh, in this situation, Fredo <laughs> that's where that's so where Fredo, that's where, that's where Fredo ends up on Jurassic Park. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Oh, I like he's getting eaten by the T Rex, and then it just slowly uh, fades to Robert De Niro. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> <laughs> say goodbye, Michael. <laughs> um, uh, but uh, one thing I you you brought up Clemenza. Patrick and yes. this time around I really did have it on my mind about the idea that um Michael Gazzo's character Pen- oh, my I Frank Pen- Pantagelli Pantagelli I it's don't hard. know why like it's it's hard for me to wrap my tongue around that sometimes but um you know the original concept was Clemenza was going to be in that um Art, situation yeah. mm-hmm. the like screenplay balance and symmetry maybe in like maybe God was saying that's just too much it's just too balanced out everything is happening too yeah. perfectly you need to, we need to have like a new character in here we can't like just the idea of like bruno kirby as the young clemenza in those flashbacks and then clemenza in that position of the one who might you know that ends up you know, slitting the wrists in the bathtub like man i mean how poetic it would have been really good is that i mean like i don't want to like pick apart something that i think works perfectly but i think that that would have been like it's pretty obvious that was supposed to be clemenza yeah Yeah. and it would have been so neat had they been able to figure out a way to at the same time uh was gazzo uh, yeah yeah oh he's so good he's really good he does have a bit of he has something to his performance that i don't think clemenza as an actor has there's some weird authenticity some weird like realism that that he was a playwright you know and an mm-hmm. awesome, I mean, screenwriter he was a writer too he's a very intelligent artist and i think he brought in something that other actor probably couldn't yeah that's, no, that's a, a that's, that's a great that's, no, no it's, yeah. it makes it worth it but 
there is a bit more poetry in Clemenza in the role that was obviously written for Clemenza. Mm-hmm. You can just tell, you can feel it. You have, uh, you have what's his name, Chichi with the black thing around his arm, and that's mm-hmm. supposed. I mean, it's you can just feel the writer quickly navigating and fixing this problem. Mm-hmm. The movie's should- so good, you don't even care, but uh, you can tell. We should mention my error on the cruising episode. Um, I was rattling off the great Joe Spinell's credits, and I yeah. didn't even mention that he, he plays Chi-Chi. Right. He plays Chi-Chi in Godfather Two. Oh, you and know, he it. and he cries. He's, I mean, one of the, I mean, one of the great faces. Yeah. In, in movies. That must like maniac. Yeah, yeah, and of course, well, Patrick was Patrick was listing off the great New York movies with uh, Dog Day After Taking Apollo One Two Three and. I would be willing to um, make an argument that the sleaze darkest side of New York of that era is presented in Maniac. <laughs> like, without a doubt. <laughs> <laughs> Maniac is a difficult film, but I think a, I think it's a, you know, to get, to get back to Kevin's horror movie roots, I think it's a worthwhile movie as well. I think it's a... It's, it's pretty gross. We'll put it that way, but... Um, uh- and, Sav- and Savini's uh, Savini's makeup in that Savini is Savini, and the d- director is um... Lustig, who did uh, Maniac oh, Cop, Lustig, yeah. Yeah. as well, and Vigilante with Robert yeah. Forster. Yep. Yeah, um, yeah, Maniac Cop from the fabled Robert Zadar bracket. We'll never yep. do. Yeah, <laughs> which inevitably ends up Maniac Cop versus Maniac Cop Part Two in the finals. Yeah. <laughs> hey, Tango and Cash might have a. Might have some strong outside, 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 outside shot. Yeah, it's like the Donnie Brasco of that bracket. You know, yeah. don't, don't, um, don't let it go. Yeah, but yeah, I think it's interesting because you, you know, you brought up um, Gazo's background and the way this one's cast too. Because I think the other big casting of someone with a interesting background coming into play is obviously Lee Strasberg playing Hyman Roth, um, being kind of the ultimate acting guru. Yeah showing up in like his first movie yeah in a major and he's really flexing in this man that part where he's like lecturing while shirtless on the couch yeah. is pretty top-notch stuff right oh there. man <laughs> i just i just see that and think oh that's my grandpa <laughs> like in the best way like yeah. he has he has definitely just he has grandpa energy i don't know but like but like brutal grandpa i don't know Something well that's the him. entire idea is like he's grandpa but he's also like, a, an extraordinarily dangerous man <laughs> you know we've we've talked about dirty grandpas and bad grandpas this is the the baddest grandpa yeah bad uh stamps.com bad grandpa of the week yeah, goes to Hyman Roth <laughs> stamps.com bad grandpa of the week Hyman Roth <laughs> You heard it here for you heard it here first, folks. Um, but yeah, uh, you know, everybody, I think every, I mean, everybody's firing on all cylinders in this movie. I mm-hmm. think, um, you know, we've Kevin, uh, you know, a little off topic, but you know, that's hell, that's our show. Uh, have you seen Godfather Coda yet? Uh-huh. Yes, what did, what did you think of Godfather Coda comparably? I mean, it's it's a, an improvement, uh, but it's still. A very deeply flawed, not very good film. Yeah, yeah. yeah we'll um, be uh, spoiler to our audience. Uh, we have a bonus episode on the horizon talking about Godfather Three and Godfather Coda. But I mean, I I think the biggest, the cardinal sin of the Godfather Coda and Godfather Three is the lack of Tom Hagen and Robert Duvall. Yeah. I think the cardinal sin is actually 
Michael Corleone is no longer Michael Corleone. Well, that's yes, yeah, yes, that I is also true as well. The, also, the, the fact that like yeah, the fact that like K forgives, like you know, it's all crazy. well. Then they have that before sunrise sunset part where they're walking through Sicily to get and they're you know, I just, it's, okay, it's a spit in the yeah. Face. It's a, especially after watching Godfather Part Two again today, I was but, like. And we can talk about Francis Coppola, the artist here, then, yeah, because sure. I think like what makes him mm-hmm. a true like. There's a lot of filmmakers that you know you could say are great are artists. Yeah. I think Francis Coppola is an absolute, and I think you guys would agree with me, a true artist who follows his whims completely. And like a true artist, he grows as a person because he's consistently um, his life is changing as well. He's not trying to stay in one place. He's like growing as a human being and i think the nice thing they have between godfather one and godfather two is like what is it a year two years between these movies then there was like about a 14 year gap between two and three and coppola clearly as an artist and what he was interested in what he was kind of chasing and the themes he was interested in are different by the time he gets to Godfather 3. But Kevin, you're absolutely right. Because they're different, Michael Corleone is different. And you can make an argument about Al Pacino as an artist being different as well. I don't know what happened there. They both fucked up. Well, I think that they... um, They wanted redemption for someone who didn't deserve it. And I'm just saying the character is not Michael. You could still mm-hmm. play the same story. I think the setup, I think the part three idea is really wonderful. Tries to tries to save his soul by going into, with the Vatican. Finds out that's just as corrupt. Mm-hmm. As that's very interesting. Career. I find all that just such a great idea. If you're ever going to make a part three, that's a great place to start. But it's I mean, there's just so many things wrong with that film. Yeah. But the number one thing is that Michael's not Michael. It's, Al Pacino. it's like kind of a cross between Son of a Woman and, and Heat. Mm-hmm. It's, not, it's not a character I'm interested in. It's definitely not Michael that we, 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 we grew to learn about. Yeah, you know? yeah not, ne- not, not necessarily love, but grew to learn about. <laughs> yeah, and not to mention, she is just atrocious actress, his, da- his daughter. And it's um it's absolutely atrocious. It's and, unfortunate. Yeah, and it's one of the weaker performances by Andy Garcia, who's miscast. Uh, there's so many poorly overdubbed lines that don't make any sense. Oh, I have a, a my I have a I have a re- I have a recasting for Andy Garcia, but it involves even weirder levels of Coppola family incest, <laughs> and that would be Nicolas Cage playing that part. That would be cool. Yeah, he would have been great. I think fun. he. I think he yeah, would have um, at that era too, because it's like coming like Moonstruck almost era. Like yeah, he's, well, I love Nicholas. Well, yeah, I, there are no eras. There's just greatness um, yeah. from from top to bottom. But also, yeah, also but, just get rid get rid of the Sofia Coppola, Andy Garcia love. Just have yeah, the, in, the, the, the the incest angle is um. It's weird. <laughs> it's uh, it's odd. <laughs> it's so weird. It's like you don't gotta put your movie man <laughs> and it's like it's like it's not like and it doesn't like it doesn't add anything there's it's not like they it bring breathes life into the film that it desperately needed or I mean, something. who knows just, who knows if it would have if winona ryder was oh, playing maybe. the part but um yeah, i don't know maybe. i don't know the right the writing is the writing 
Yeah. At the end of the day. But it's, you know, I mean, I'm uh, as you know, as we talked about in the cruising episode, I'm a big fan of um, things that don't work. Right. And kind of analyzing them and kind of like obsessing over what happened, you know, especially when it's done by people. I really like it, like whose work I admire, mm-hmm. whether that's William Friedkin with cruising or um, Francis Copeland, Godfather three. But, you know, on top of that, you know, to go back to though, I, I think um, to go back to Robert Duvall. Um, yeah. <laughs> I, I think he's so he's, I love that he, 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 he just kind of holds it down. He's like, he doesn't get the like sexiest moments, although he gets some really good moments, but he just holds it down in these movies and he creates kind of like a foundation for everyone to get the bigger kind of moments throughout the film. And that just shows what kind of actor he is, though. He's just, um, he's so good in it. And just kind of the way um, his relationship with Michael fluctuates throughout the film. It's really, really interesting. It definitely like embodies kind of this idea that Tom was in a sense Sonny's guy and they're kind of adjusting as they go. But it's, it's, I just, I think he does such a good job and I miss it. Like watching Godfather 3 and Godfather Code, I just missed him. Yeah. And it's funny because like, I don't mind George Hamilton's performance in Godfather 3. Like, I think he does like a solid job. what's there. Well, yeah, with, with what he's given. Um, but I but I do agree that like, um, yeah, it's like such a. I feel like Robert du, uh, Duvall is kind of like almost like an unsung hero in uh, in the Godfather franchise. Like I don't know, like he is so like the the, the scenes he gets. I forget how like because him with like GD Spradlin, man, that's like one of my top three favorite moments in the whole movie when he's with and it's like you know he's with like the 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 the, the you know the lady the, the prostitute and it's like i don't know what i did oh god gd spradlin is so good in this movie too. what a what a great sleazeball yeah and um you gotta give a shout out to uh troy donahue who plays merle johnson connie's <laughs> connie's fiance in the opening scene like the waspy dudes that show up do make an impact in this oh movie. they're so <laughs> yeah that's like Occurring, there's like a lot of fun, like weird waspy dudes that have like uh, it's like him and like uh, we might have to do like one of our uh, uh awards for the final might be favorite weird waspy dude in the war in Al Pacino's uh, decidedly <laughs> yeah. like New York world, <laughs> yeah, because there's always like, yeah, there's always like a weird white guy in a bow tie that's like, <laughs> well, I mean, even like um, go to Harris Eulen in um, Scarface oh. as the dirty um, the dirty fed. Another yeah. great, another great scumbag that uh, Al Pacino has to deal with. Mm, wow, what a freak! Good, yeah, good stuff, stuff. Good, good stuff. stuff. But um, yeah, I think you know, you know, Kevin, you said I think you said you you've at least told me this is your favorite movie. Yes. And you I know your thesis on it. I watch <laughs> it at least once a year. I saw it in the theater what two years ago when it came out again. Um, two three years ago. <laughs> yeah. It's uh, it's my favorite film. Yeah, yeah. You know, well, I my guess favorite performance of all time. It, I mean, I guess I'd love to dig in a little bit. Like, what what is it about this well, that kind of does that for you? It has everything I like. It has Shakespeare. It has big Shakespearean storytelling. It also has small, nuanced human realism, and uh, I think 
so that has all that it has epic and it has small it has it all that and it all fits together but i think it's the weird poetry of showing the like when he's singing in ellis island and then it goes to his grandson but you still hear his voice in the background of the church it's almost like his ghost still haunts his haunting you know the present day which present day is i guess nevada 1940 or whatever um but um there's just so many weird eerie beautiful poetic elements to it layers that um it makes it kind of an experimental film like narratively it's not very it's not a very hollywood film it's very bizarre and it shouldn't work it really shouldn't work they, those two stories have nothing in common other than father and son so narratively it doesn't make any sense to fit together but it makes it fit together because of sound design because of subtext and symbolism so literally that film only sticks together because of like of something that you can't really uh, that is goes against all the laws of how you tell a story in the in, in a traditional sense, and yet it still works. And in my opinion, it that's why it has more more impact. Fredo's crying as a uh, you know Fred, he just found out Fredo's gone. He just found out his wife had a miscarriage. He looks off the distance. It dissolves to Fredo as a baby, sick and crying. But the probably the best written scene ever. And I think Sidney Lumet said this. Said the best written scene ever, or one of them is De Niro killing Finucci and then going down and holding the baby Michael and saying, I love you. Basically, I did this for you. I just killed a human being because I'm trying to save you without realizing he's actually destroying him. So that's sort of irony. And it's just a tra tragedy, you know. Anyway, you can go on and on. And on top of that, the lighting, the music score, and on top of all that, Pacino's performance is without a doubt my favorite performance on celluloid wow. in the history of celluloid. I've said this for years and I will probably say it as long as I watch films. What is it about um, his performance that really like, because obviously, you know, we just talked about he's, uh, he's an incredibly versatile actor, yeah. especially earlier on in his career. And yes. um, is it kind of the... Um, the absolute control he has over his instrument. Yeah, it's instrument. Watching, Don't you're, be... you're watching a you're watching a human being become basically a zombie, or like you're seeing he. You hardly see this ever captured on film, let alone captured the way he did it. All internalized, all in his eyes, he manages to show someone's soul like leave their body through heartbreak, through constant heartbreak and that is like so disturbing and it's so tragic and it's like devastating to watch and he does it all effortlessly and i don't know how he does it he sneaks in there he's like he's a very sneaky actor where he's able to sort of he does stuff to you without realizing he's doing it you know, as, as an actor, like you don't realize you're watching his heart break in the scene until you watch it second or third time. But you, you know, like when he finds out Fredo lied to him at the sex show, all he, I mean, that reaction is. That was what I was, obviously, that was what I was referring to earlier by the yeah. um, non dialogue moment, brilliance. Yeah, that, like, how many, how many, I, I can maybe pick out two or three other moments in cinema where an actor can do that. I don't, just not, I can't, you know, there's heart like, there's a moment Montgomery Cliff has in *The Place of the Sun*, 
where he like you see some crazy you know you see a guy sort of break you know heartbreak it's it's very rare i can't you know even the de niro has never gotten near that that height i'm not saying pacino's better than de niro he's, I, I think he's better but it, just there's these moments de niro has more films that are better than pacino pacino has not made the filmography that de niro has that jack, jack nicholson has but they're same with Coppola's director scorsese has more films Spielberg has more films but the height that Coppola achieved as an artist makes him better than a Spielberg who has 20 more great films. And I goes the same thing goes for me for Pacino. The height he achieved in The Godfather Part II specifically, it doesn't matter how many great films Jack Nicholson made, they've never gone there. You know, it's very rare. I've, I think maybe David Lewis has gotten there a couple times. Um, Brando had gotten there a couple times. I There's think um, with you know, James Dean got there that mm-hmm. one time and he's the beat in with the money, the money scene. You know, there's very rare people who can get there. And I mean, I think the only performance, the way you described it there, that I would go with, um, off the top of my head, I'm sure there's others, but um, I think Brando went on the waterfront. Yeah. Reach, reaches those heights. Yeah. I was going to say that, but also I was going to say Streetcar when he's eating the food mm-hmm. and, and he's looking through her stuff. That's a moment where I'm like, I'm not watching a film, you know. That's that's he's in a place that I don't know how he got to that point, you know. But yeah, there's just few actors, few moments, and Pacino does it in the entire film. That's mm-hmm. why I'm in awe. Like he doesn't just have moments; it's like the entire film. When when Connie goes up to him at the funeral, and she goes, "Kids, would you let us have a moment?" And the kids ignore her because she's not the king. Pacino's the king. And all Pacino does is he does this and looks at them and he closes his eyes and they go, oh, time to go. And he doesn't look human. He looks like a, almost like an animated creation. He yeah. just doesn't yeah. look like a human being functioning. He looks beyond, it's bizarre. I don't know how he did it. What's even his little, like his physical control in the um, scene with Kay, where she yeah, tells yeah. him what really happened with the baby. And there's this little twitch that he does in the close up before he explodes that's crazy crazy moment that's one of his best frames he's ever done yeah that's that's crazy yeah how he's able to achieve that much anger and when we were watching the other day jen gasped which i was very like it's such a great feeling when somebody just like isn't even watching the movie but just kind of like strolls in the room and can just feel it regardless of not having been there for the previous you know and this is this is coming one after the other with the fredo scene um yeah, I mean that Fredo scene—that's ridiculous. But that's John Cazale scene, you know. That's yes, and that's Gordon Willis' scene. That Fredo scene is Gordon Willis and John Cazale and Pacino just being a very strong, steady figure to let those geniuses, you know, show off. I wanted to ask you about um, kind of some of the because uh, I, I have a feeling you might know some of. The, I'm really fascinated with kind of the technical aspects of the Fredo scene, like everything, because like obviously I think the framing of it is for me what kind of makes puts it over the top you know obviously you have michael standing tall and fredo in that chair but like even little things like where did they find the chair like whose choice was that well my wife is a is a commercial director so she's Mm -hmm. very you know filmic and i've always been obsessed with that scene and finally i watched with her not long ago and i was like tell me how is how the the contrast the blacks and how did she's like he, he may he might not be using any lights 
yeah this might be the real sunlight hitting the using snow. those wi- and using those windows Window. outside yeah. yeah like she's like that the, the thing about gordon willis is that he just they called him the prince of darkness right yeah so that's like his motto is getting dark and the chair was just there and oh man Brazile, like discovered it and, and he, he went with it yeah, yeah. okay because it's just yeah. it's just i mean so f- like it's obviously yeah, tragic but i'm going to use a different word it's 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 fucking magical yeah, what happens he, in that he, scene he is unbelievable in that scene he's unbelievable yeah. in the whole film but that's kazale's like favorite best scene he's there he ever did yeah, yeah. on film it, it's it's so funny too. Uh, I, I just finished. Uh, I read the uh, the Godfather book. Of course, uh, we're not. You know, we already did the Godfather, but uh, you know, like a, a a few podcasts late, I finished the Mario Puzo book. And what John Cazale like does with that Fredo character? Because in the book, like, it's so interesting. Like, he's not like as huge of a screw up as he's made it out to be in the movies as he is in the book. It's almost implied that, like, you know, what happened is, like, you know, Fredo, like, what caused Fredo to be the way he is, is, like, him witnessing his father getting shot, uh, you know, and, you know, in the first film, that kind of, like, caused his downfall a little bit. Like, he's never the same after that, almost. And uh, Kazale, like, I think that's, like, the thing, too, is, like, when Francis Ford Coppola, Al Pacino, and everyone did with that... Uh, with the resources they had, they, they took this book that's like honestly like a little trashy. Uh, it's not not that it's uh, not that it's like you know poor you know poorly written or anything. It's an interesting, but it's almost like I can't believe I'm saying this. It's almost like the Sicilian Dune. That's like the best way I would describe the book because like the book is so much more. There's so much more detail and there's so much varied characters and you're thrust into this world and they kind of like and Mario Puzo does a very good job of kind of like uh, illustrating everything. And, uh, but then, you know, the flip side of that is when you're illustrating everything in such detail, you sort of lose the mystique that the Godfather movies have. And, uh, I think that like Francis Ford Coppola kind of like took, yeah, it's like when those rare moments where the film is like clearly superior to like the literature that it's based off of, there's maybe like two or three, like I think the Lord of the Rings movies are like that. Uh, you know, you could probably make an argument for like Jurassic Park, uh, but there's not like a lot. Of, I think there's not a lot of move. Shining, The Shining, I would say definitely is a better. Uh, you know, well, talk. You know, I agree, but I think uh, that's a very much more controversial take. <laughs> that's that's fair. That's fair. I mean, I love Stephen King. Shit, like you know, I've read The Stand like a dozen times. I'm a king head. Uh, wow. I'm a king freak. Uh, but uh. I think like yeah, it's I think it's uh, kind of incredible. Well, and the other Kazale or the Kazale Pacino moment that I don't think we've really discussed in great detail is my personal favorite Pacino moment. And I thought, and I think it might be yours too, Don. I can't remember the one where like they're at the party, and Pacino's like, "I know it was you," and he comes oh, up and it was like, "You part." Oh yeah. fuck! That one hits so so nicely. I thought you were going to go back to Dog Day Afternoon and bring up the Wyoming. Oh, sequence. that's really good too. Oh, <laughs> Which that's... is, but I think that the way that they work together, they're kind of like their scene partnership, and all the times they're together across the three movies that they did together. And I'm sure, and I wish I had been there to see them do it on stage. Mm-hmm. Um, they are just so there's so much trust and so much, just like even when they are being dark toward one another there's warmth there there's like a familiarity there's just it's just yeah there's trust that's mm-hmm. the word i'm looking for 
that, you know, there's an intimacy that you can really feel between the two of them that they're just bringing. Yeah. I, Al, Al was so lucky to have a scene partner like John Cazale. Yeah. Also so, like, in all those times through also watching it this time around, like I truly felt like, I think I texted Don this earlier. Like there's like an alternate world where like had Fredo not been born into the mafia, he could have been just like this guy who's like an okay car salesman like not great, but not, you know, not the worst. And he's just really great at throwing parties because he mm. seems to be like a nice personable human being. Hey, hey, you know, <laughs> you, know? Like, you know, it's like kind of like poor Fredo, but you know, yeah, he, he seems to be able to throw a good party in Vegas that Michael shuts down all the time. <laughs> the, the, yeah. the true tragedy of the film, in my opinion. Oh, jeez. Party no, but party I, I, I thought you were going to also mention just the scene where they go out for drinks together where they're in oh, Cuba and yeah. kind of, it's it's <laughs> kind of like um, a test run at their scene together mm-hmm. in Nevada where Fredo wants to, and Fredo wants to be vulnerable with him because for, I mean, Fredo's, he's, he's just so s- sweet. Mm-hmm. and fragile yeah and I, I i just feel i mean obviously the, that's one of the big things is that you're supposed to feel so much for him by the time it is over and you know you do i mean yeah. it's just it just the, the thing slaps and <laughs> i think like, to kevin, yeah and i think to kevin's like point too like yeah it does get to this point where by the end of like the godfather 2 like michael is like yeah it is like dune where like yeah he becomes the fucking like uh like the godhead by the end of the movie he is like this like he's not even a human he's like this all-encompassing force he almost goes through like the reverse version of like uh what the uh what a uh Hidatora goes through in ron where like instead of like you know you know he uh becoming increasingly uh wizened and uh you know uh, befuddled and like golem like he actually becomes like emotion like he loses emotion he loses all connection to reality he kind of like yeah or not reality to uh he loses all he like yeah he slowly loses his humanity throughout the film uh which ultimately culminates to of course yeah fredo uh dying. i mean i think uh, that gets back to i mean i i understand what you gotta do you gotta do the movie the industry is not like movies or tv shows all the people who are praying for like you know their favorite tv show to end properly yeah or whatever but yeah i mean at the end of the day michael should have been left in purgatory mm-hmm. at the end of godfather 2 yeah and that's a it's not a pleasant thing but it's it's a very authentic and truthful thing to the story yeah and then, he, and then he gets he gets retconned as like a cool dude in godfather 3 fuck With that we well i mean that may be the cardinal sin the cardinal sin is probably his haircut in the godfather oh uh, yeah that, that haircut's insane it's it's it I, but i can you're absolutely right like the michael we know from part godfather part one and two would never go to a barber and ask for that haircut you, <laughs> you wouldn't make jokes no i know no. with that part where he's like steals the car to drive diane keaton around and he like Terrible. gives the goofy ass like straight out of jack and jill grin Terrible. at her yes yeah. yeah it's just so but- bad yeah, he's 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 basically mafiosa Doctor Manhattan by the end of Godfather Two. So like, yeah, there's the the idea that like, yeah, he's like doing bits with fucking Diane. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I I think that there's an ego thing where and there's just a desire 
I don't. I, I don't know. I. 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 I you know. Well, we don't know. The answer is Coppola's kind of died after mm-hmm. Apocalypse Now. Yeah, there's remnants I, of genius in Rumblefish, which I, I love. I love. I, I'm a Rumblefish yeah, fan a as well. Yeah. I, I think it's his. I think I honestly think it was losing his son mm. was kind of the thing that really. Um, yeah, made him yeah and i i think there are brilliant things i don't think it's 100 percent successful i do think there are brilliant things in dracula as well yeah 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 i mean it's a thrilling like yeah there's a like it's a big swing visually you know yeah yeah Yeah. the ballsy film yeah you know and and that i think that was probably his last one that he like really took a big swing on yeah but he, I, God bless him, man. I mean, like, but it doesn't matter. He made like four masterpieces, too. He made, and he's, you know, he's, he's a, yeah, yeah. You know, it is like the cinematic equivalent to like you know the Sistine Chapel. Like it is like this perfect, undefeatable piece of art. Well, you he's know? um, you know, a lot of people get compared to Wells, but I think he's the um, he was the true heir apparent, both oh, in terms yeah. of like skill and talent and also kind of um kind of artistic madness yeah i've seen big hollywood films so so like ballsy artistically ballsy Mm -hmm. and and surreal like apocalypse now is it's like a horror film well i mean one thing you mentioned too and you're talking about godfather 2 and mentioning that was an art film it's like it wasn't like godfather 2 and apocalypse now were like these like under the radar low budget move these were blockbusters yeah. of their era and he is like yeah and you're absolutely right like by the time he actually reaches kurtz's compound in apocalypse now the movie has taken a turn for surreal yeah. horror yeah. and it's like truly psychedelic at times and i was just reading that they're still talking about like it doesn't have an ending it doesn't have an ending like it does the ending is awesome <laughs> like the ending is insane <laughs> like you know? it's a it's an ending yeah yeah it's i mean it, it it's a crescendo i mean it's uh it's just it's a brilliant film i mean that's a really yeah. he yeah he's yeah you're right he was just he working at a close second for for me but mm-hmm. number two wins the award but Obviously, I was always been pretty high up there. But I, I think you, I think you made, um, you know, we haven't even dove into Robert De Niro, but I think you made um, some really a really potent point for Al Pacino in The Godfather Part Two. There it was. But thank you for sharing your thoughts. You know, You're that's welcome. the reason why we brought in the big guns. Yep. For this episode, <laughs> um, but uh, Patrick. Yeah. Uh, do you want to? Do you have time we, to do um, uh, supporting player of the week real quick, Kevin? Yeah. Of do course. you have a? Uh, yeah, uh, we picked your the best non-Al Pacino. The best, your favorite non-Al Pacino across either film. I think we all probably have the same one, but you guys go ahead, I guess, first. Um, or is it me? Or is it just you guys? Well, no, Pat, Patrick, go ahead. I'll go first. You know what? Because uh, I, I know who it's gonna. You know, I have a feeling where some people. The are namesake of the award. Yeah, the, the, <laughs> it's good as hell. Like I love, I love John Cazale in this, but um, and he's gonna win it, and I'll probably end up giving it to him again at some other time. So you know what I'm gonna do is I'm gonna like, uh, instead of giving it to him, I'm just gonna give a shout out to uh, one of my favorite performances in The Godfather Part Two that uh we none of us really got to talk about, and it's uh. 
uh, Gastone uh, Machine. I'm probably totally fucking up that oh, pronunciation. Sorry. Yeah. As Fanucci. Oh. Fanucci slaps so hard. Watching it this time, I was like, God damn, I love this character. He rules. Where did Coppola find him? What? The what? Conformist. The Conformist. Oh, he's in The Conformist. Wow. I didn't know that. Who, only... did, who did Coppola base Michael off of? The Conformist. The lead. The well, he also stole the leave shot. Yeah, from the conformist too, but you know that's. But hey, if there's a movie you're gonna steal from, (laughs) Um, I need to watch the conformist now. Apparently, Uh, but uh, but uh, man, he's so good with his golden tooth and like his whole getup. I love that character. Uh, It's like I think it's like probably in my top three favorite Godfather character or top not three, but like I don't know. It's just so he and he's just so uh, effortless in that role. Like he's so like. he always has like a little. He has like a little like uh, skip in his step, which I love. Uh, he's like a little rascal. What a great. He's a, but a bad guy. Oh, evil! An evil yeah. little rascal. He's like yeah, he's a he's, little rascal. Yeah, he's like bad the kind. He's the he's the king of the little stinkers. Yeah, he's the most. He's the biggest stinker of them all. Uh, but yeah, giving it to that guy. So good. I'll be I'll be quick here because I I did give the Casale to Casale both times around on both these movies. So I'm gonna totally. spotlight someone else. I I love Charles. Durning yeah, in the dog cool. day afternoon he's it so is good. it's a thrilling performance we didn't spotlight him yeah. uh, in any of us didn't pick him in the last one i want to pick him this time around he's he's freaking great and he holds down the fort in his yeah, scenes so good great. for him uh kevin what do you got i hate saying because it it's so cliche but yeah kazale and fredo and godfather part yeah. two it's just yeah it's a wonderful performance i mean we named the damn award after him so you know uh so let's get to it um we know our guest our great guest has to run so let's uh get to it i this is um this is a this is a big vote yeah we'll, we'll put it that way so uh, um, Patrick, gonna, what do you yeah, got? i'm gonna do for the first time ever i want to save my vote for last because i have a feeling oh. i have a feeling okay. that both of you are going to vote in certain ways okay I'll, I'll go and i'll be quick um kevin made a very very well thought out tremendous points about uh godfather part two and al pacino's performance in it and i this is um let's put it this way folks these are both like mount rushmore performances so whatever one wins or loses that does not mean for a second that these are not brilliant at the end of the day probably second place should go to whatever is losing today yeah out of this tournament regard you know donnie brosco serpico scarecrow these are great great things uh but boy he's really good and you get to see all sides um i gotta go with gut feeling and um i'm picking dog day afternoon because i think it's just as as sound as he is in godfather 2 and every point kevin made was correct there's no fallacies <laughs> that were stated there i just feel sunny's journey and i feel like al's just every move he makes like i want I, I love the part where he's like just talking about all the stuff he and all the people he has to take care of mm-hmm. in dog day afternoon i got these people over here i got these i gotta do it i'm doing it all by myself and it's just <laughs> kind of like he's just I don't know. I, it just, it's a connection thing. Maybe, I don't know, but um, I got to I think because when it comes to a choice like this, where there's brilliance just across the board, 
it may i know we said we were scientists at the top of the episode i think it just comes down to your gut in in this situation and what your heart says and so i'm voting with dog day afternoon kevin you're up next well you know i already gave my away yes my answer away. yeah so my favorite you performance were... of all time obviously is my choice okay uh, so patrick you made the bed yeah. Now you're gonna lay in it, man. You were the one who volunteered for this job. I, I am I am but a fool. Uh you know. Okay, so I have to I I messed up the I thought that we were doing the John Leguizamo uh crazy goofball. I watched the pest and spawn. And the crazy goof okay, that's not I'm not even gonna make <laughs> jokes. What are we talking about? I can't I can't give it's hard. These are both great movies. It fucking it's difficult because like I went in thinking Godfather, but then I watched Dog Day Afternoon again, thought Dog Day. But then Kevin's made some really salient points about Godfather. It's it's difficult. These are both like the best performances. Listen, as Patrick is pulling out his hair right now in front of us. It's I if think, only you could see it. Oh, I feel like uh, it's like I have a young uh, Clemenza pointing a gun at my head. Uh, <laughs> that only makes sense if you can see my zoom screenshot uh my zoom background uh fuck it's so hard um they're both great movies okay uh godfather is incredible it's uh it is like a once in a lifetime you know i put the godfather in my top 25 list uh you know i almost want to replace it with godfather part two because i kind of put it in there meaning the duology um he does so much in the it's like yeah it's but then the thing too is like dog day afternoon is also great and i think dog day afternoon okay fuck it i'm just gonna dog day afternoon and i and i the only reason i say this is because they're both like peak performances i think godfather is a better film than dog day afternoon and godfather part two in a whole I think that the performance Al Pacino gives in Dog Day After, I think it's more like, here's, not that he's not, like, he's a bigger part of Dog Day Afternoon. Like, I think that that movie is, like, his movie, and it's not that it isn't his movie in God Day I feel so bad, Kevin, Um, I'm sorry. (laughs) uh, Patrick's brains and (laughs) head are just all over the screen yeah my right blood now. is coming it out is, of my nose yeah I, yeah he looks like a cronenberg character he's yeah. being <laughs> he's being scanned right I, I, I scanned. now and it's not um, like yeah but it's like so yeah. we'll, we'll we'll get to the um the post-mortem after we let our guest go he's got to run he's given he's been so gracious with his time you're a good man thank uh you. I'm thank sorry. you so much uh kevin <laughs> is there anything you'd like to is there anything you'd like to plug on your way out no i i can't wait to w- watch a oh, plug no but i can't wait to watch your other Pacino stuff. I'm glad you you're doing him this year because he's 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 one of a kind. And oh, he's. A- I think he's he gets a bad rap because he's kind of doing some lesser good films, but he's 80 years old and people need to remember that. Yeah. Uh, and yeah. even now, he still pulls out something great. I think Irish is one of his top 10 performances. He's he's so, great yeah. in Irishman. He's so good at that. Yeah. Yeah. That look, look. Sometimes that. you know. Sometimes we're all gonna eventually get welcome to Mooseport. Okay. Like, yeah. That's, comes, well, yeah, that's life. That's all. life, man. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, Mooseport comes for us all. But uh, uh, but anyway, I'm glad I got to nerd out over God for the part two because that is my. No, you game, made so. some. Yeah. And your I, points <laughs> were amazing. Thank you so much for yeah, joining thank us, you Kevin. guys, for uh, for inviting me. That that was fun. Look, call me back again. I'll be yeah. back. Yeah, yeah, we will. All right, you, man. You do your uh, Brando one. Give yeah. Me a call. 
we'll All let right. you uh, nice, guys. let you get to dinner, man. Have a great yeah, one. Out. Yeah, eat that chow. Wow. Um, um, yeah. I feel good. we betrayed Kevin. I did. Yeah, we need to talk because we he was um, smarter <laughs> and more poignant than yeah. either of us. <laughs> yeah, uh, man, gives a new meaning to. We need to talk about Kevin. Yeah, yeah, when you talk about Kevin, that he's um he's a good guy, a, a superior, a superior dude. Yeah. Oh no, I felt like an um, asshole voting for. Check Don. out um he's he's made some wonderful movies. They're out there. You can look him up on IMDb. He's got great yeah. stuff. He was too modest to plug, but um he's yeah. a he's a very he's a very real filmmaker and very good. Yeah. Um, and All, a, and yeah. a great friend. Also, um, I'm just gonna say this really quickly. The only time I'm ever going to do that ever. Me skipping the line. Okay. Yeah. I mean, Patrick. Only time. Threw himself, I... threw himself on the train tracks to sacrifice himself for the sake of the podcast and was promptly blasted by the well taking a Pelham one, two, three. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I was, yeah. Robert Shaw grinning. <laughs> Martin Balsam is like, you yeah. know, dancing on He somebody. got blasted by Hector Elizondo. Yeah. <laughs> the guy who played Wilson in Home Improvement just yeah. shot me middle of the face yep. yeah it just it, it got <laughs> ugly it got ugly mark uh walter Matthau is not dropping into any of our apartments and looking in giving us a shit-eating grin to close the movie maybe the i mean yeah both these are movies are good but is there a better closing shot than oh, that? no. that's like um, oh, man. Yeah. but i mean the big news the big news folks mm-hmm. we're a little harried about yeah. it somehow some way as I genuinely thought you were voting Godfather too. Um, it was it Dog was... Day Afternoon is advancing yeah. in the tournament, and I think um, I think it's safe to say Dog Day Afternoon is the front runner yeah. to win this tournament this at this point. Um, interestingly enough, uh, I believe Dog Day Afternoon same exact starting spot as Sophie's choice in the first round so uh uh future academy academy prognosticators keep an eye on the second film of our first episode of each season because um strong contenders tend to be in that slot um yeah i don't know i I am now up we should have kyle clark and kevin hamadani back to give poignant summing ups of the films that are far superior to my damn ramblings <laughs> because yeah. Kyle, between Kyle, between Kyle's insomnia mm-hmm. defense on the insomnia scarecrow episode and Kevin's rather brilliant breaking down of just how good Al Pacino is yeah in Godfather 2 it's making me feel like a big dum dum but uh, and i love dude godfather is so good it's it's oh, hard, but i think no. it is like the thing about Dog Day is Dog Day is like that is a hundred percent entirely Pacino's film, a hundred percent, and and not that Godfather, but and Godfather is clearly like a a more collaborative work. Um, oh, there's like this like there's this fierce life mm-hmm. that is coming out of every moment of his performance in Dog Day Afternoon that while there's the brilliance and each calculated and controlled move he makes in Godfather 2 is so technically strong. Mm-hmm. I don't like 
from the second we meet Sonny and he can't get the rifle out of the box and they're looking behind those pillars at each other, uh, it's just like there's like a life and a vibrancy to it. And, and I don't know. I think this is like, this comes down to taste. It comes down to like what I was trying to explain. Like I said, heart, but I think like taste and it's not good taste or bad taste. Just it's preference. just taste. It's just preference because what you're looking for. And this is the brilliant thing about art that things can be good in your mind that could be bad in other people's mind or things could be good and good. And it's just kind of how you feel. And every time I watch Dog Day Afternoon and they're cutting between Durning and Pacino yelling at each other in the streets and the cops are like closing in on each side. They're screaming, put that guy away. And the crowd is getting louder and louder and they get to the helicopter shot over all of it. You see what's going on. And then Attica on top of that. Yeah. It's like, I, I love Godfather too. I really do. But like, there's just nothing that reaches that point of like, what is going to happen here? This could go in a million directions mm -hmm. in a sense, but in that moment, like the way Lynette is like juggling chaos in that moment, in those moments it's and life, just like the messy, cause it's a messier movie. The Godfather too. Hugely. But is it, that's not a bad thing either. No, I like the, well, and the thing too is it's like, it's a messy movie, but it's, it's made like, it's, it's like a perfectly, it's one of those things where like you're impressed that the Sydney Lumet was able to keep all these things juggling in the air in such a fascinating way. And, you know, also kudos. I got to look up the casting director for, well, I mean, uh, all uh, so many people in dog day were like Pacino's theater buddies. Oh. And like, I mean, like just down the line, like people, he was like, cause he had a much bigger say he had his buddy Bregman, Marty Bregman, who we've, mm -hmm. who we've run into before was producing it. So he had a, he was just going to, it was a pipeline and Lamette, unlike Coppola, Lamette, um, you know, Lamette made so many good movies, but Lamette was a, um, he's a worker, you know, movie after movie, you know, like we were talking about, like he was a guy who made movies two in one year uh coppola is a visionary auteur mm -hmm. on the flip side of that. I, I don't think lament was like a visionary auteur but i think lament knew people and he knew right. drama mm -hmm. and he knew how to place things within drama um i don't think he was ever going to do anything that was as like this like level of like operatic striking filmmaking that godfather 2 or uh, apocalypse now hit you know i think coppola yeah he's a profound artist he's wellsian I yeah. Mean, like oh yeah and it's yeah and it is like this like giant like yeah and godfather is like an epic and like it is almost something at the level of like i would say it is like akin to like a like a uh something almost like wagner like you know like yeah, yeah like the I mean, ring cycle like it's almost like yeah. cosmic, like in scope. Like it is like this thing that's like, and even though it is like clearly based in reality, it's like it's like warm peace. It's like well, he's yeah. playing with um, like Kevin brought up with Shakespeare. He's playing with the heights of the history of drama yeah. and what things are like, what we want, like as a species, in a mm -hmm. sense, out of drama. 
and he's working at a level in which his understanding of drama and all of like yes like the way the story the two stories bounce off of each other because you the the symbolism you know and the film is all in a way it's all themes and ideas because if you try and explain kind of the deals between roth and penjajali oh. and the corleones and the like trials it's confusing as shit yeah it's, it's very like, odd but it doesn't matter no like that's like and that's something that's so brilliant about films you know because i think um godfather 2 actually i wanted to make an argument too about this that um i think dog day is a vibes film mm-hmm. godfather 2 hits both like banger of kind of movement and like structure but it's also a vibes film yeah and which you know the movie i was gonna compare to is actually i know another one kevin likes a lot is john carpenter's thing is a total like movement film plus vibes and i think boy if you're working on those levels you're making you're making a good movie yeah and it's like it's it's a slow vibes film too. i feel yeah. like yeah it's like man it's like i almost when i think of the godfather it's like this is like a movie that I would it's it's almost like the cinematic equivalent to me of like a nice long cold glass of lemonade on a hot day or something. It's just something where like I don't know, just it just hey, it kind I of washes know. over you. I don't know. I mean, I who it. knows if this is gonna come up in our um regrets oh probably uh episode of the show. I mean, you know, is it a regret that we put these all in the same initial bra- uh region? Um, yeah. but you know one thing i wanted to say i didn't get a chance to talk to kevin about it is like one i actually think i like al pacino's movies overall better than robert de niro's entire run yes yeah, and i th- and i like out and i think that um al pacino i think robert de niro's also made worse movies later in his career than al pacino yeah i think like yeah i think al pacino on a whole is like i also just think he's a and then no shade like robert de niro's you know maybe he's not a better actor that's hard because like robert de niro is like really really good but i I don't it's again this is godfather 2 versus donkey afternoon yeah it's everything's good yeah we're lucky we are lucky to have had them and this is an age-old argument and it's an it's an unsolvable argument but i can see why um you know we've 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 gone deep into the weeds. Next week, obviously, we're doing *Scent of a Woman*, um, and Patrick and I have come out the other side as fans of big Pacino, yes, and weird Pacino. And I think that a lot of people are a little more troubled with big and weird Pacino than you and I are. Mm-hmm. And I think, um, you know, regardless, *Dog Day Afternoon* is playing, could be playing *Scent of a Woman* in the next round (laughs) what a crazy (laughs) i don't know i haven't i haven't done my second watch yet so i'm kind of excited i'm looking forward but i think yeah i think you know we did the best we did the this is kind of the motto of the academy academy we did the best we could yeah we did we're (laughs) we're trying and you know what like the like the meryl streep bracket it was fun because florence foster jenkins made it Against all odds. I also think that um, it's it's interesting because, like, you know, you don't want to, like, sit here and compare them because Meryl's great. Al's great. That's, like, 
at the end of the day, the only thing that we'll learn about this, and we didn't even have to learn that. Um, but I think it's like there, I think Al's like, there's this like ingrained in American cinema kind of not only Al's performances, but the movie season. Whereas Meryl Streep, there was like this level of like, oh, geez, what the hell is Florence Foster Jenkins? <laughs> you know, <laughs> kind of vibes yeah, the to the entire thing. Like Mystique, I guess, you know, but I mean, this might come back to, to something we talked about before is the gender biases. Yeah. In general, which is a, you know, obviously a huge can of worms heading into the second hour of our show. I don't know if we're ready to <laughs> jump into yet, but, um, but yeah, I mean, I like, you know, you know, Kevin told that story about his dad going to take him to see Donnie Brosco. Yeah. A lot of us as young men have stories of our dads showing us the Godfather mm-hmm. or something like that. Um, you know, my dad did not sit me down and say, here's um <laughs> Sophie's choice here's Marvin's room you know yeah. here you know here any and uh, you know as a father of a daughter I'm very excited about the idea of saying like when you when it's age appropriate yeah hey let's watch heat but let's also watch the devil wears Prada oh hell you know yeah. let's let's watch them all yeah because I mean that's the that's that's like the glory of the dang movies which are back as we all know and you know, I think it's, if anything, what this show has kind of taught us is like movies are great and keeping an open mind is really fun when you're watching yeah. movies. Like don't come in with your, like with your eyes closed because there's a lot of joy and surprise that can happen. You know, we judged Maya harshly the first time we saw it. Second time we saw it, you kind of were fans. Yeah, <laughs> we, we, we wanted to go to Greece. Yeah. Hang out with those and, wonderful dads. So I think like, you know, the glory of it is it's like, yeah, this week we had to make a really hey, no, you know, here it is. Finally, the Sophie's Choice of the <laughs> Academy <Yeah>. Academy. <laughs> the Sophie's of Choices. I don't know. It's like, despite the fact that when I picked one, I, I, I'm feeling a sense of melancholy because how can you say the Godfather two loses? Like, it's it, yeah. I don't know. It's very um. It's very interesting. I I think like maybe it's part of my Sunny and Fredo s personality that I was kind of hoping I would lose after I picked. I was hoping Patrick would pick Godfather two. Man, I it was it was one of those things where like because I initially I did think I would choose Godfather two, and uh, I wanted to. I wanted just to have like an air of like you know because it's 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 always uh, sometimes you can clearly tell when like uh, you know one's gonna win or one's gonna lose and I felt like okay for this one we can't have like there has to be some stakes for this episode and so that's kind of like why I moved my vote mm-hmm. over but then like it is one of those things I thought about what you texted me to the alpha and uh, the beta thing and man like. I really felt it watching Godfather 2. It's like, uh, I, I am more of a Fredo than, a, <laughs> than, a, than a, just deep down in my heart. Uh, and, um, and, and that's like part of the beauty of that performance is like his increased detachment from reality, like, you know, from the world. I mean, it's the way, you know, he's put it so poignantly. You're, you know, watching someone's soul get sucked out of them visually. Yeah. Which is pretty 
it's true and it's profound oh it's beautiful and you know watching both i guess that's what i would leave the audience with yeah <laughs> like, uh listeners you know you'll have an enjoyable evening yeah watching they're both either, good as well. I, yeah either of these films they're excellent films um but yeah dark day afternoon is the first uh emerging out of the portrait of an actor as a young man division region mm-hmm. whatever you want to call it the first of the semi-finalists semi-finalists quarter-finalists quarter uh, sem- semi semi yeah. it'll semi. be a semi yeah. Yeah. semi-finalists yes yeah. you're right semi-finalists uh we'll be meeting uh the winner of next week's Ooh. matchup scent of a woman versus the aforementioned dark horse contender donnie brosco yeah um you know we got some wonderful movies to come the opportunity this has been a thrilling time you know and i got to um you know this obviously our guest had to run a little bit earlier so some of our (laughs) beloved fan segments are probably going to go by the wayside this week but we got a nice little post-mortem convo instead uh but i want to you know thank again our guest kevin hamadana he you know brought the thunder like i kind of expected him to yeah uh passionate passionate filmmaker and fan uh it's, so it's thank a, you yeah it's nice to have someone on who like no and not that we haven't had guests that haven't in the past but it's always cool when like we have like a legit like actor like, uh yeah actor, legitimate. I mean, director director director, director yeah yeah a working filmmaker filmmaker so, exactly exactly someone who like so someone thank, who knows their shit thank you to kevin and um we're just gonna jump off right now you know mm-hmm. thank you to listeners thank you to patrick and um you know, have a have a great week. We'll see y'all next week, or hear y'all next week. I don't know. We'll see ya. Yeah, we love you guys. Bye. <laughs>